Jesus, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you that it brings light to us, uh, that by your spirit you reveal to us the truth of Jesus through the word of the, the words that we find in the Bible that point us to the word of the gospel that is the truth about you, Lord. Uh, we ask today that you would open our eyes to see you, that you would illuminate our eyes to who you are and who we are in you and how that transforms every part of us. And I pray that you would work to transform your people today. We pray for our kiddos as they go out. Let's be honest, my kiddos as they go out, uh, that they would be blessed in their time out in Gospel Kids and that they would grow to know you more and more. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me, let me say it again. Welcome to Gospel Church if you're new here. Um, it's, it's funny, like on the week that two-thirds of our church goes away, an extra bunch of people, like, like depending on how you count it, seven extra people. And, and that doesn't sound like a lot if you're in an inner city church of 200 people. But when you're in a, a little Middleton church of about 15 people, seven is like, oh, my goodness, you know. Um, so, and you can tell I'm taking it like a pro. So that's how we are here. You may have gained already. Deeply professional. Deeply professional. I feel like I need to pray again now after this opening because I'm, I'm, I'm digging a hole and I'm not getting out of it. But uh, I'm just going to move on. If you're a Christian here today, I, I want to start by asking you a question. Uh, and, and my question is, why did God save you? You know, when, when God poured out the blessing of saving grace on you, pulled you out of sin and into his marvelous light, why did he do it? Or, or another way of coming at it, when Jesus came down, when Jesus lived a perfect life, when Jesus died a sinner's death, taking all the wrath of God for your sin, why did he do that? And I think, uh, like, like, why did he do it for you? Mm. Yeah, like that's, that's, that, that hedges around what I think is the answer that we are all just busting to say, right? Or, or anyone who's been a Christian at least for a while or even a new Christian would be busting to say is, he loves me. There you go. That was incredibly convenient timing. Uh, I did not tee that up beforehand. He did it for love, right? He did it because he loves his people. Uh, because Not because I deserved it in any way, not because I had done anything to merit his love, but because he loves me. And that's a wonderful and glorious truth, isn't it? Uh, and, and, and yeah, it is true. But what if I told you there's more to it than that? Now, now I, I realize many of you will be listening to me say that and, and think, oh, you're skating out onto thin ice here. Uh, and, and, and that is kind of one of those thin, icy sort of statements. But there is. What if I told you that God had a clear purpose in saving you that answers that question, why did he save you? And it's not a reason that's within you. Don't get me wrong. We're not stepping into a little old bit of heresy here. Uh, it's, it's, it's a reason that is within his plan, his history-spanning plan. And in fact, not just one reason, but two. Today we're stepping into Psalm 67. A little old thing that Mark read for us just now, only seven verses. And this psalm is focused on the, the going out of the gospel, the, the spread of the, the rule of our God to the ends of the world, to all the nations, to every tribe, tongue, and nation. Uh, and it might may come as a surprise to some of us. This is a really strong theme in the Old Testament of the Bible, also the New Testament, obviously, but... Uh, uh, the expectation that God would save the Gentiles, that God was going to bring in the peoples of the earth and, and, and rescue them. Uh, sometimes we think of the Old Testament 
as kind of, well, we think of the New Testament as that's when God got interested in the, in the rest of the world. And the Old Testament was kind of, that was when God's focus was over here and, and the rest of you were kind of, would just ignore you. Uh, but, but nothing could be further from the truth. From the very beginning, God is working to build a people from, for himself from all of the peoples. Uh, I think you can actually get this from, from day dot, from like Genesis chapter 1 in the commissioning of Adam. But I'm, I'm going to actually skip over that and go for the low-hanging fruit here and aim at Abraham, right? And what does God tell Abraham when he calls him out? He tells him, through your families, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. You know, his very purpose in calling this one nation is that he is going to call in a great people from all over the world. And of course, that history-long expectation reaches realization when Jesus comes, when, when God comes down and he is God with us, uh, that localized people goes, suddenly transforms and becomes a, a everywhere people, spreading people that is spreading still today. And really, this psalm tells us the nature of that spreading of the gospel. It tells us what it is, what it means for those people and for those nations that, that the, the word of the gospel is spreading to them. And it tells us how that going out happens the mechanism by which God spreads his gospel to the ends of the earth. And in, in those two things, we actually find two really life-transforming, I believe, answers to the question, why did God save you? Or why would God save you? You know, uh, and, and, and those are the two realities that I really want us to focus on this morning uh, as we come to the word, because I think these are the focus of this psalm. They're two of some of the most critical, the most central truths that there are in the Christian faith. Uh, you, you can't get along very well as a Christian without these things, I don't think. Or it, I think people do sometimes, but I think they are stunted by the lack of them. The first one, which is, which is a huge reality, but, but in this psalm actually a subordinate one, is that God brings joy to the earth by making himself known and glorified. The author of this psalm writes in verse 3, turn with me to it, he says, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. We're saying we're not going to work through this top to bottom. That's not how all of the Psalms work. Uh, uh, he repeats that again, word for word, down in verse 5. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And now why does he say that the people should praise God? He gives a reason, right? The reason he gives is when God's saving power is made known, when God's and when God's kind rule is made known, then the peoples praise God. When they see who God is, then they praise him. When they see what God does, then they praise him. When people see that God is not a vengeful, angry monster of a God, as they may have been told, but that he is full of saving grace and kindness toward undeserving people, saving them then people are led to praise God. So the psalmist prays that, uh, down in verse 2, may, uh, your, that, your, that God's way may be known on earth, your saving power among the nations. And then when people see that God is the just ruler of the earth, who guides the nations, which we see there, down in verse 4, then they're led to praise him. The peoples praise God because he is gracious and because he is just. 
And of course, we see God's grace and justice just perfectly in the person of Jesus, right? That's, that's where that is most perfectly revealed, where, where we know who God is. That John's gospel opens uh, in verse 18 with the words, he, uh, no one's seen God, but Jesus has made him known. It's a slight paraphrase there. But then uh, what, what we need to get here, though, is what does that mean for us? You know, what uh, the psalmist is going to tell us, but but critically, what what's the result of the nation of? And and let, let's let's not just say the nations. Let's categorize this. This means us, right? The people who have been drawn into the people of God. What does that mean for us? What does it look like for us? And 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 yeah, like it looks like we praise God. That's that's obvious. That's that's pretty straightforward. But the psalmist writes down uh, here in verse. I think. <laughs> Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. And that's kind of the central line in this psalm. You see, you and every human being like you, myself included, we have been designed for this thing called worship. We've been designed to praise and to glorify and to find joy in praising and glorifying. Right? I can, I can prove that to you really easily, actually. Um, what was the happiest day of your life so far? Anyone? Come on. Humor me here. Jackie's got an answer. Getting married. Rod, I'm going to chuck this at you. What was happy about your wedding day? What was your happiest moment on your wedding day? Uh, in your wedding ceremony, let's go with if it appropriate. Uh, <laughs> I think Yeah. Right? Where were your eyes in that moment? I know, right? For me, like like when I go to a wedding, one of my favorite moments is that bit where you've got this groom standing at the front, right, and he's got his boys next to him, and uh, and the bride walks in, right? There's a guy who's got absolutely no focus on himself. Grown men cry, right? And, uh, and like, it's just, it's just this beautiful moment of joy as he's taken outside of himself and is focused on something completely beyond him, his, his bride. Right? That's, a, that's actually a micro picture of worship. Uh, it's not, not an inappropriate thing. It's not worship in the sense that we worship God. But you're praising and, and, and you're looking on her in praise and you're thinking, wow. And, and that, there's so much joy in that moment. That's why our wedding days are so good, right? Because of the joy of celebrating something that's even outside of ourselves, that has implications for ourselves. Um, I've, I've got another one uh, for you, um, a, a short example. We took Owen, has, has anyone here heard of Colin Buchanan? Um, I'm sure a few of you will if he's a Christian children's performer. He's great. He's got a, he's got a, a leaf blower that he's turned into a toilet roll blowing gun. Um, it's, it's amazing. Uh, but we took Owen and Ellie to a, to a concert of Collins uh, a few years back when we were living up in Brisbane. And uh, the look, particularly on Owen's face at that concert, really said everything you need to know about how, how we're made to, to praise and to glorify and to find joy in doing it. I've got, I've got this little tiny clip that I wanted to show you. He was just filled with wonder and joy because he was so outside of himself, so enjoying the presence of one of his favourite 
musicians uh, at the time, and still. Um, have, have a look at this. So I hope this is visible. <laughs> Can you see the, the wonder joy in his eyes as, he, as he's drawn into something beyond himself? Um, we find joy when our attention and our adoration is drawn onto something other than ourselves. Right? In fact, that, and it's supremely true the more worthy the thing is that we are adoring of our adoration, the more worthy it is of being glorified, the, the more joy we find in glorifying it. Right? Um, think about... if. if Footy fans here, I know we've got at least a few, um, and then and then some fairly nominal ones, and one who claims to be but really isn't. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you're a footy fan, think of that feeling you get if you're sitting at home on the couch and you're watching your team play a game, and they win, right? And that there's there's joy in that moment, right? Now think about the feeling that you get when you're in the front row of the MCG and your team wins the grand final, right? And they're so much more worthy of adoration at that moment. You know, it's it's this thing that we're built for. So much of what we do is built around finding this feeling of joy in something outside of ourselves. And the difference, of course, is that God is always supremely worthy of our adoration. He never fails to be worthy of glory. When we see the grace and the justice of God in the person of Jesus Christ, and I mean really see it for what it is, then God is made known to us and we cannot help but glorify him. His worthiness, it never changes and it never will change. You know, to throw it back into the footy analogy, right? Think about that feeling you get the next year when uh, Port have that game against Brisbane that they had this year where it was, we, we went along to it and it, it went famously badly. I'm not a Port fan, so and I lived in Brisbane for five years. It was quite enjoyable. Uh, <laughs> Or, or like uh, Crow's Port uh, in the, the, the last showdown of the year. How did that go? How did that feel? I don't, sorry, I'm bringing back wounds here. I really enjoy doing that. It's, it's these guys' first week stepping back into this. So uh, uh, <laughs> I should be kinder. But uh, God is God's not like that, right? He doesn't win the grand final one year and then fail against Brisbane the next year, you know? He is always supremely worthy of glory, and there is always joy then in glorifying him. You know, musicians, movies, movie stars, friends, family, sports teams, all of these things are things that we're led into this feeling towards, and all of these things that are things that fail in this at some times, but God doesn't. He's always worthy. So we find our joy in him. A fellow named uh, John Piper, he's an American, uh, has, has put it really well when he said, God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. 
captures there the relationship here. Our, our lives are meant for glorifying him, and it brings us satisfaction. It brings us joy to do so. And that gives us the first answer to our question, right? Why did God save you? Why does God save us? He saves us to bring glory to his name and joy to the world. I may reuse that at Christmas time, I think. Uh, <laughs> I, just, I just want to pause here for a moment, though, uh, before we move on and ask then, what gets you out of bed on a Sunday morning? I genuinely don't know for most of you, especially those who I'm seeing literally for the first time today. Uh, but even, even the rest of us, what gets us up? Or, or even every day of the week, what gets you out of bed? What motivates you? Uh, you know, for me, sometimes, sometimes it's a struggle, right? Uh, you know, particularly if it's been a particularly sleepless night, the night before, between nursing and parenting uh, and, I, and pastoring, and, you know, it gets to the old seven o'clock and the kids are beating down the door. I'm just like, ah, no, five more minutes. But um, yeah, it's, it's not how parents meant to be, sorry. Uh, but it's really easy, though, when we look at a Sunday, right? What, what brings us here? What gets us here? Uh, what what gives us that motivation? I think I think for a lot of us, a lot of the time, and I'm not just talking about us. Uh, a, a lot of the time, it's duty, is what we're looking at. Um, we we seek to obey God and to worship Him because it's it's what we should be doing. Um, it's true; it is what we should be doing. But there's more to it than that. Do you see how Psalm 67 blows that out of the water in this fact that that glorifying Him brings us joy, right? God's purpose is to bless his people in, in, in bringing glory to his name. Uh, bringing glory to God is not a case of fulfilling our duty. It's a case of fulfilling our joy. And this is an amazing reality, you know, and it transforms so much. Why, why, would we, uh, why would we share the truth of the gospel with others, right? Because there's joy in glorifying God. Why would, we, uh, why would we live in marriages and relationships with other people where, that reflect the love and the goodness of God? Because there's joy in glorifying God. Why would we change the very shape of our lives? You know, this is something Christians are called to do. We're called to shape our lives around the going out of the gospel of God, to, to live for that. Uh, not just to think, where does this fit in my life, but to think, where does my life fit with this? Why would we do that? Right? Because the supreme joy we were made for is to glorify God. It's a, it's a fundamental truth of our faith. And when, when you get it, when you start to see how this works in, in everyday life, start to see your goal as glorifying God to the filling up of your own joy, it, it changes how you live. But, but whilst, whilst that's uh, one of the, the most fundamental truths of the Christian faith, I believe. I don't think it's actually the main point of what we get to in, in Psalm 67. What's probably most critical in this psalm, what we really need to see and what's most clearly displayed is how God achieves that end, how God brings people into that joyful, glorifying relationship of salvation. He pours out grace and blessing on his people so that more might be saved. So that more might come to saving relationship with him. So that more might find joy in bringing glory to his name. God's purpose in blessing his people 
is to bring blessing to more people. This, this forms the second answer to our question. Why did God save you? Do you, see the, do you see how this works? Do you see this pattern in the psalm? Let's go to it. Um, it's right there in the beginning the, and, and right there at the end as well. The, the psalmist opens and closes with it. He writes, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, Selah. It's the ironic blessing, by the way, from Numbers chapter 6. He's, he's morphing those words to put them in this psalm. It's the blessing that the, the high priest was to speak over all of the people of God. Right? So this is, this is a statement of God blessing his people. But why? Why does God, uh, why do we pray that God would bless us? The psalmist answers that question in verse 2, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. And then in the final two verses, we get a really similar thing happening. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. He's not talking about the, the kind of trembling, cowering fear here. He's talking about the reverential awe and wonder at who God is and what God has done that comes from seeing how he has dealt with his people. So it comes from seeing the way God has blessed those who follow him. There's this fellow named uh, Jeff Vanderstelt. I'm, I'm quoting the Americans today, I'm afraid. Uh, I, I love to steal this, this line from him because it just captures this so well. Uh, he says, what God has done to you, he wants to do through you. When God blesses his people, when he uh, saves his people, when he lavishes his love on his people, he does it so that the world will see how good he is and come to glorify him in saving relationship with him. This is the story of God's relationship with his people throughout all of creation from the very beginning to the very end. When God created Adam and Eve, right? We'll go there now. He makes them in his image. Now, what that means is they're the display of who God is. Right? And then he sends them out and he says, go, have dominion, multiply, and be fruitful. Not in that order. I got it wrong. But uh, get the gist, right? They're to fill the earth with the image of God. They're to Fill the earth where there isn't even peoples yet. They are to make peoples who know the glory of God and who display it even more. When God calls out Abraham, he calls out Abraham to bless Abraham and to bless Abraham's descendants. And then he says, but through you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. He blesses Abraham to bless others. You can, you can find this Everywhere in scripture. I mean, literally everywhere. I think if I was going to pick the hardest book in the Bible to try and locate this sort of thing in, I'd probably go for Lamentations, right? You guys familiar with Lamentations? It's five chapters of, of, of barrel of laughs, right? It's, it's the middle of the exile. It's Jeremiah. He's writing about the most terrible moment of suffering that almost you find in the Bible outside of the description of a pit of sulfur and death in Revelation, right? Uh, it's the closest thing we have to hell on earth in the Bible. You wouldn't really expect to find someone experiencing God's grace there, let alone leading others through their experience of grace to experience grace. And that's exactly what we find in Lamentations, though. Jeremiah 
he's like he spends let me let me do this for you he spends the first two chapters of the book right chapter one and chapter two he's like oh god what's going on why is this so terrible and like it's it's horrendous like the stuff that was happening you read it and you're like wow i don't know if i could even be up to writing about this like he is if i was in this situation and then you get to chapter three and jeremiah suddenly realizes there's still joy in god even though the world's fallen apart around me, the people are dying, I'm suffering, God's people hate me, the world hates me, but, but there's still joy in God. And he finds hope in the gospel. And then he spends the last two chapters, and you've got to pay attention in the last two chapters of Lamentations. I'm getting way too into this Lamentations thing right now. We're not preaching Lamentations today. But, uh, he spends the last two chapters basically going back through the suffering uh, again, and reading gospel hope into it for other people. You've got to pay attention to the pronouns in Lamentations. He starts talking to the people about their suffering and leading them toward gospel hope. Do you see that pattern there? God blesses Jeremiah to pour out a blessing toward others. The easy example, obviously, is Jesus. The supreme example is Jesus. He calls his disciples, right? And he, he, he grows them and he shows them grace. And then he, he pours out the grace of God in his own death and resurrection on them. And then he sends them out to carry the message and the joy to the rest of the world. A sending out that still applies to us today as the disciples of Jesus. Do you see what this means? Your salvation, every experience you have actually of God's love in your life is not just given for your own enjoyment. Every, every moment of grace you've ever had is not just given for your experience of grace. They are given to you as gospel opportunities. It's like, it's like Piper said, right, John Piper, um, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And we could add, he uses that to glorify himself to the world. So let me ask you, what does your heart long for? What you, did, did you know that, that, that every other blessing in this world is finally a secondary side effect of this one, that God would be glorified? And we mustn't miss this, right? This psalm, it gives this clear layout, as we've explained, of God's expanding kingdom worked out in the blessing of his people toward the blessing of the peoples. But it's not a, it's not a statement. It's a prayer. So often our prayer lives do actually reveal a lot about our hearts, don't they? Or our lack of prayer lives sometimes. But... How do we approach God when we ask for blessing? What's our heart in doing that? You know, if we, if we pray for, for rain, why do we do that? If we pray for healing, why do we do that? If we pray for grace in the face of sin, why do we do that? This, this psalm affirms it's not uh, wrong to ask for God's blessing. The psalmist is doing it extremely blatantly. Although, although we should qualify and say in Christ we have the greatest blessing of God already if you have believed in him. And if you haven't believed in him, you can have that today. But it also brings purpose for the asking. 
that is outside of ourselves. We seek God's blessing in order that the world might know him through his work in our lives. And in order that we might have, that he might have all of the glory. Is that what we're praying for? Do you, do you want to be blessed so that the world can know? Or do you just want to be blessed? Do you acknowledge you have received the greatest blessing already in Christ, if you have been saved in Christ, and that it is given so that the world can know that blessing? So that the testimony of his goodness to you could be spoken and displayed to them. Do you see that the next greatest blessing after being saved is that others would be saved? That that more would see the blessing you've received and come to receive it as well? That through you, God would do for others what he has done to you? I can't imagine anything aside from, from being saved. I can't imagine anything better than one day standing before God with others that he has saved through me. No, yeah, I can't. Uh, I was just checking. It's some, quite common in some quarters of the church, right, to, to chase the next miracle, uh, to, to really want to have the next big blessing from God because it's a great experience, because this is... Wonderful feeling. I feel so affirmed in that. Uh, But that devolves into a me-centered faith where God exists for my gratification. And before before we start thinking really too outwardly about this, it's worth us turning around and looking inwardly about this. Um, How often are our prayers just centered on the blessing, on the need for the here and now blessings, right? For healing, for myself or for those I, I know, right? For relief from poverty. For uh, you know, we've got we've got students here today. You guys understand the poverty prayer. That's for for a job, you know, or for a promotion that I really want, or for a change of work that I really want. Even for God to deliver me from a specific area of sin in my life. Now, those are these those are not bad things to pray, are they? In fact, most of those are essential things to pray if you're a Christian, but they're not the end in and of themselves. He's he's pulled you out of sin. There's the blessing. He pulls you out of sin so that he might bring others out of sin by your ministry of the gospel. Here's another one. In John 7.37, Jesus cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He's talking about the Holy Spirit here, by the way. He qualifies it directly afterwards. He says, Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So he, you come to Jesus and you receive the Spirit so that the Spirit can flow out of you to others. Here's another one. First, uh, 2 Corinthians 1. Paul writes that he, that is God, comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we have been comforted. Do you see this pattern? He comforts you in grief by the peace of the gospel so that you might bring the peace of the gospel into the grief of others. 
Now, there are people who are really dear to me who've really struggled with anxiety in their lives. I don't, I don't think she'd mind. Crystal has struggled with anxiety in her lives. She'll listen to this later, and then if she does mind, we'll have a chat about it. But, uh, you know, and, 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 and that was a real struggle, and it still is a real struggle, and yet she's seen, and it's been an inspiration to me, actually, to see her using that powerfully, speaking to people who, to, to friends and, and people who aren't Christians about their anxiety, their fears, and, and how there's really only one answer that she's found that helps with that, the gospel, Jesus. He blesses you with, with money, right? If you're here today, you're wearing clothes, I think I can make the fair assumption that you have money. Maybe not a lot but so that you might generously pour it out for others, right? He blesses you with a, a family of caring Christian brothers and sisters so that you might pour care onto your Christian brothers and sisters and onto the world. There's no such thing as an experience of God's goodness that is solely personal. He's given you his grace so that you can pour it out to the world. Even your experience of, of having been forgiven of uh, specific areas of sin in your life, right? Even your experience of grace there where it feels very personal. It feels very much like that's something I shouldn't share with anyone else. But it's given so that you might speak the truth of his grace into the lives of sinners who need to know that, right? Who need to hear of the deliverance that you've had so that they can be delivered, Everything that God does to you, he wants to do through you. God pours his grace onto your life so that his grace can pour out of your life and more will come to know him, to know his saving power, as this psalm says, and to live in the condition they were created to live in, praising God in full joy.